Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. I hope that you are all well. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of incredible things going on uh, around the river. Uh, and I need to share some of those with you before, before we get going too far. Um, as, as Terry prayed for those who are struggling, uh, it, it's just an obvious thing. And we're getting more and more reports about this in the news as well as uh, calls into the church, uh, prayer requests that our people are sending in. And um, people are hurting, and we know that. Uh, some of you viewing maybe some of those who are hurting, um, maybe friends or neighbors or family members. And I, I, I want to share something with you. I, I know everybody doesn't know this, but um, we, we have had for years now here at River Bluff uh, a counseling center. It's called the Discipleship Counseling Center of River Bluff Church. And we have five counselors on staff here who, who love Jesus, uh, who are trained uh, professional counselors, uh, and, and they're here to serve. The center uh, does have space. They are able to take on new clients. And so if you find yourself just in a place, in a space in life where you feel like uh, having that kind of access to someone would be an encouragement to you in your struggle right now, I, want, I just want to say to you, uh, call, call, the, call the center, uh, email uh, at, at counseling at, at riverbluff.org. Uh, Cindy Shirley directs our counseling center, and someone will contact you uh, to set up a time to, to begin meet with you. It, it can be done uh, over what they call a telecare system now, um, so it can be done virtually. And we're set up to do that. And just we, we want you to know that, that, that we're here for you. Also, uh, we uh, have brought on to our staff during this crisis uh, Dean Enfinger. Dean has come on as an associate pastor for encouragement and, and crisis care. And you can, you can call and schedule just a phone call uh, with Dean for, for encouragement. Uh, he'll, he'll hear your thoughts and struggles, and he'll be glad to pray with you, uh, for you. Uh, Dean is one of those great encouragers personally uh, in my life that God has put in my life for that and uh, he does a great job at it and I'm grateful to be able to share him uh, with with the larger body of Christ Um, I'm also because we realize people are hurting in this season and time uh, we're going to host I'm going to attempt to host let me put it that way uh, a a large zoom meeting uh, prayer meeting this coming Wednesday Kathy and I will host it from our home. Uh, We'll start uh, about 7 p.m. and try to invite as many people into that as we can. It will be live and interactive and I'll be posting uh, an access and code word and password that you'll need on Realm uh, on Monday afternoon. Uh, You're going to have to personally subscribe to Zoom and download a file on your electronic device to be able to participate if you haven't done that for some other reason already. Um, Later today I'll try to post some instructions on, on how to get started on Zoom. Now, we know that there are many folks that uh, are struggling with lots of things, but one of them is isolation, feeling cut off from, from, from other people. And we also want to step into that, and we're hoping to launch some brand new groups, uh, online groups this week. And uh, uh, all we need are a couple of things. We need group members, uh, people looking to get in groups, and we need some facilitators. You do not have to be a Bible scholar to be uh, a facilitator of a, of a small group. Uh, you just have to have a heart 
that, that, that loves people, that loves Jesus, that, that loves to engage in conversation and talk with other people, um, that, that qualifies you as a facilitator, and we'll help you. We'll provide you with the resources that you, you may need. Um, we'll help you learn how to uh, set up to, to do an online group. Um, in, in fact, some of you may want to facilitate a, a, a sermon discussion group, uh, that, and some of you may want to participate in one, and we'll, we'll provide some strategic questions, discussion questions, uh, each week related to the message that um, will come available uh, right after the message. We just need people who, who are looking to, to connect and uh, who would be willing to facilitate and join. If you're, if you're interested in that, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Um, email me at connections at riverbluff.org, connections at riverbluff.org, and one of our connection squad members, they'll, they'll get with you. Cindy Shirley leads that, and uh, someone will get with you and, and connect with you and help you get engaged uh, in, in group life that way. Now, one, one kind of last encouragement that I want to give you, uh, this will be maybe kind of like my last commercial today, uh, and it's simply this. I want to urge you all to join Realm. Realm is River Bluff's kind of in-house social media platform, and things that happen in our church uh, get, end up there more than they do on any other social media platform, and I don't want you to miss anything. Uh, I actually have it on really good authority that right now there's a free giveaway going on on Realm, and the only place to participate in that giveaway is on, on the Realm. And so uh, if you do register and sign up for Realm, I want to encourage you to go on and look for a post entitled Blessings uh, and Fun. And so here's what you can do to get on Realm. Call the church office tomorrow, or you can email Lynn Kite today at lkite at riverbluff.org uh, to get signed up for Realm. Now, to get you best prepared for our message today, we're going to try to do something a little more inter interactively. Some of you may have wondered, why is Joe holding a, a sword? Well, I want to talk to you about, uh, about that today. Um, one of the things that God's Word says about uh, His Word is that it is the sp uh, sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's described that way as the sword uh, of the Spirit. And to make to make this week's message a little more interactive, we're adding a, a, a feature that I'm calling sword drill. Some of you are familiar with Bible sword drill, maybe from, from years ago. Here's what's going to happen. Everybody is going to need uh, their own copy of a Bible. Now, if you want to use an electronic Bible, uh, use your phone, that's fine. It'll be a whole lot more fun if it's like a real live, turn-the-page kind of Bible. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you want to need to run through the house right now and get a, get a sword, a, a Bible for everyone, and, and try to do that. Now, I'll, I'll pause for just a second maybe and talk about something else here if, if you need to do that. But what I'm going to do is there are going to be passages of Scripture that I'm, going to, I'm just going to say, sword drill, and I'm going to name the passage, and I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to find it, and then the first one in your house who finds it, start reading it out loud. And hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun uh, this week with the message. And here, kids, please go easy on your parents. They're old and slow, so you may have to help them, kids. But um, let, let's plan to do that. And I just, I, after all these announcements, I feel like I need to pray again. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we, we come to you in the powerful name of Jesus, giving thanks. Giving thanks that you are with us. And we're coming asking you now to speak to us. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus, as we, as we spend lots of time in your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to be talking a lot today about 
chances and, and odds. Um, and basically, when we mention things like that, what we're describing is the possibility of events that might unfold in the future and the likeliness that those events will occur. There are, quite frankly, are just some events that are less likely than others to, to happen. For instance, uh, they, they tell us that winning a big lottery, that the odds of winning a big lottery are like 1 in 300 million. They tell us that the odds of uh, being struck by lightning or being uh, hit by a meteor are greater than the odds of winning a, a, a large lottery. Did you know that the odds of being attacked and killed by a hippopotamus are 10 times greater than being attacked and killed by a shark? And lately, there's been lots of talk about beating the odds when it comes to contracting this C-19 virus. We've been told that, you know, increased hand washing with soap and water, wearing masks out in public, and spatial distancing, those things will better our chances of beating those odds. Now, one of the realities of those of us who follow Jesus, when we talk about odds or chance, there's something that we have to always consider, because there's a huge caveat for, for Christ followers, it's called the God factor. See, God changes everything because when God steps into a situation, there's absolutely no chance. There's no chance involved. Some of you might remember the, the angel announcing to Mary, uh, she was a virgin living in Nazareth, and the, the, the angel announced to her that she was going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Well, what were the odds of that ever happening? And, and she was so shocked, she just said, how can this be? And one of the things that the angel said to her, sword drill, Luke one thirty seven. Find it, start reading it when you find it. First one there, first one there, start reading. Okay, in the house we had one. Luke one thirty seven says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, the Bible is filled with events. There, there's, it's a historical record of the scripture that speaks about events that have occurred that went against every odd, including things like lightning falling from heaven at a precise moment, hailstones coming out of the sky and targeting just a certain area, darkness that covered the land for three hours uh, at Jesus' crucifixion. All of these natural events were against all odds. They defied the odds. But did you know that God actually predicted these things over and over again? And God predicted that he would defy all odds. You see, God is so sure about what he does that he will announce what he's going to do in advance and, and then layer it with detail upon detail upon detail so that the odds of it happening are exponentially increasing, that, that it just it couldn't happen. In fact, God announces that you could compare him to any other belief system, any other God, because they can't do what only our God can do. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 41. God says, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are and what we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are God. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. See, what, in that passage, God is showing off. He's saying, I can do what no one else can do. I can tell the future with incredible detail and accuracy all the time. Can any other deity do that? 
See, Jesus said that fulfilled prophecy will actually bolster your faith. In the upper room, he was with his disciples, and they were having a Passover together, and he made some predictions. He said, I'm going to die. He said, someone among you is going to betray me. And Peter said, he said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And then Jesus said this, sword drill, John 14, 29. John 14, 29. Read it if you got it. Okay. Here's what it says. And now I have told you before it takes place. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus says, look, I'm telling you in advance, you know, so that when it happens, you'll go, he said it was going to happen. Man, I, I believe him. See, this is where Christianity differs significantly from other religions. Most every religion bases their teachings on their founder. It, it, it puts forth their philosophical postulates and of the one who began the, the movement. Now, in our world today, there are about 25 or 26 books out there that claim to be scripture. But there's something absent from all of them except for one extremely detailed prophecy now some of them will make very general and vague kind of mystical predictions that you can look at and go yeah i see that but when it comes to detailed prophecy they're absent they lack what we're talking about in terms of detailed prophecy now what mary read, read for us earlier is an account from luke chapter 24 and what i want to do is i want to take us through that familiar passage it's one of my favorite post-resurrection uh, encounters that was recorded in the scripture and it's basically a couple of Jesus's followers and they're at one of the lowest points of their life and they're taking a walk together and Jesus shows up but they don't recognize him he's he's incognito let's say and he has a conversation with them as and we're we're invited into that journey now I, I want us to take this journey with this in mind how life with Jesus always leads us to beat the odds now, the first thing that we see Jesus do with them is Jesus meets them in, in their sorrow. And Jesus always meets us in our sorrows. Look at verse 13 and 14. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. So basically, two guys really, really bummed out. It's after, after Jesus' death, they're... they're they're actually unaware that the resurrection had happened and that they're at a low point. And this is very typical, um, even, even more so in our current situation. After a funeral, normally people were able to get together and kind of process. A lot of people can't even do that today. And, you know, talk about the situation and things. But they, they were sharing with one another. Excuse me. <coughs> But they were at, at this low point, and Jesus, is no, Jesus notices how sad they are, and he asked them about it. He said, basically, why are you at this low point? And they were there because all of their expectations had been crushed. They, they had expected a, a conquering a Messiah, but what they got was a crucified man. And from their perspective, you know, they, they, they were looking for this, this great politician, this, 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 this great prophet, uh, you know, they, they were hoping he was going to be more than that. They wanted this glorious, th this mighty line of Judah. But what they ended up with was this meek, gentle lamb of God who was slain. 
And this isn't what they expected. It's not, it's not what they wanted. Look at verse 15. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus comes up. They didn't recognize him. And, you know, that one of the questions that comes to mind is why, why couldn't they recognize him? Well, I think, first of all, because they weren't expecting him. They're not thinking, oh, hi, Jesus. What's up, Jesus? You know, we've been waiting for you to show up. See, they, they didn't. That's not where they were at. The whole resurrection concept was beyond them. They did not expect him. But we also find that when Jesus appeared uh, to others after his resurrection, they didn't immediately recognize him. When Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, the first one to the tomb, she thought he was a gardener. When our Lord shows up in Galilee from on the shore and he calls out to disciples in a boat, they, 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 they hear his voice, they can see his figure, but they don't recognize him. And here in our text, we're very specifically told that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This means that somehow their eyes were blocked. They, they couldn't. They were unable to see. They were kept from recognizing that this was Jesus. Now, why is that? I don't know. We, we're not told. But, but here they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened over the course of Friday saturday and sunday on that first easter and jesus just kind of joins them walking with them listening to them and they don't know who he is and that's why verse 19 is kind of a humorous verse uh, jesus jesus asked them and i can kind of just see jesus going what things what things are you talking about here and they said to him concerning jesus of nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before god and all the people and you can just kind of see the shock on their faces did, weren't you, didn't you just come out of Jerusalem too? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who, who didn't know about these things that happened? And I, you know, just see Jesus go like, like what? And you just, it makes me kind of laugh at it because he had been the heart, he had been central to everything that had happened in Jerusalem. But Jesus wants them to tell him, to tell the story. And Jesus wants us to tell the story. And boy, do they recount the story. And they start talking about Jesus. But they don't do it in hopeful terms. Their terms are past tense. He was a prophet. We were hoping he would be the one. You know why they said it that way? Because when Jesus died on the cross, all of their hopes died with him. When that tomb was sealed by that stone, they thought this was the end. Their, their hopes got sealed up in that tomb. They, they didn't realize yet that it was just the beginning. You know, they, they were thinking, well, we were hoping in him. Now, watch this. Jesus starts revealing himself in the next few verses. And what I hope you'll notice is this. He doesn't do it by sight. He doesn't just pull off the eye restraints. Uh, he will do that, but he doesn't do it now. But he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't reveal himself visually, not through their seeing, but through their hearing. And that is a very, very important principle found in sword drill, Romans 10, 17. First one there, read it loud. So faith, this is where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not by seeing. 
And so Jesus doesn't go and reveal himself that way. He reveals himself in their hearing through the scriptures. So we see that Jesus, first of all, meets them in their sorrow. And now we see in this conversation, the next thing that Jesus does to help us stand against all odds is he does this. He moves them to the scriptures. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus first meets us in our sorrows, but then Jesus always moves us to the scriptures, always moves us to the word of God. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Now, here's what I hope you notice. Jesus first rebukes them, but then Jesus informs them. First, he, he says, you're slow of heart. But then the next thing that Jesus does is Jesus fills their heart with hope. Now, it, it's an interesting phase. I hope you notice it. He starts out foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Unfortunately, I meet Christians all the time who are slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. Slow of heart to believe what what God's word says. They, it's not that they often just completely ditch their Bibles totally. It's just that they kind of push out certain parts. They're, they're, they're slow to believe, you know, at, at the heart that Jesus is actually going to come back one day. They're slow to believe the Bible's descriptions of what heaven is going to be like. They're, they're slow of heart to believe that what the Bible says about marriage or divorce or purity. They like the Bible, but they pick and choose. I call that polka dot theology they, they they like it in this spot and they like it in that spot they they think this spot's inspired and that's but not these spots polka dot theology but if you are slow to believe god's promises you are going to find yourself slow at receiving god's benefits now jesus in verse 27 gives them a bible study now please think about this 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 blows my mind every time i think about it the first Bible study Jesus ever gave after the resurrection was a study of Old Testament prophecy. And I just got to tell you honestly, every time I read this passage from Luke 24, I get a little disappointed that that sermon, that Bible study wasn't, you know, all put in the Bible, kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. Man, it would be incredible. Now, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know if Jesus is going to do Bible studies in heaven but if, if he does, I'm signing up for that Emmaus Walk Bible study. It's, go, it's just going to be great. I would love to hear Jesus teaching about the Old Testament prophets uh, about himself. I just imagine the greatest teacher explaining the greatest themes from the greatest book. And that would be the greatest blessings of all. It would just be so cool. But in verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses. Now, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus began with the books of Moses, and then he went to the prophets. And I just imagine that maybe where he began. Maybe, maybe the scriptures don't tell us, but maybe he began back in sword drill, Genesis 3, 15. Find it, read it. Okay, this is, that was the last sword drill of the day. Everybody can relax now. The tension's over. 
Genesis 3.15 tells us this. I will put my put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He's, he's talking about the serpent in the garden. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus says, hey guys, remember that prediction back in Genesis that a child's going to be born who will crush the head of the serpent? That's me, Jesus says. He, he says that, that's pointing to me. I think Jesus probably would have taken him to Genesis chapter 22. And, and said, do, do you remember, do you recall uh, what happened in Genesis 22 when Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac on, on Mount Moriah? Well, that mountain, that's the mountain I was sacrificed on three days earlier. That, that, that was me. Just, can you imagine Jesus pointing that out to you? I mean, it would be crazy. I, th I think Jesus would have probably taken him to Exodus chapter 12, the story of the Passover lamb. And the blood covering the lentils and the door, all pointing to Jesus. I think he would have mentioned the, the Levitical sacrifices of the Old Testament and uh, the tabernacle being laid out the way it was uniquely and the Day of Atonement all being fulfilled in Jesus. I think Jesus would have mentioned Numbers, 20, uh, Numbers 21 because he did in John chapter 3. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up i think jesus would have mentioned isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name emmanuel which means god with us and two chapters later i believe he would have mentioned isaiah chapter 9 for unto us a child is born see i believe jesus would have opened all of these things and more to them beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He expounds all these things about, about himself. So I want to I ask you a question. How impressed with Old Testament prophecy are you? How impressed? Because I, I want to tell you, when I, when I first really engaged that and encountered it, it changed my life. I was a freshman at the College of Charleston, and I had been a believer for about two, two and a half years. And when I landed as a freshman at College of Charleston, I was soon greeted by agnostic and atheistic professors and all kinds of students from all kinds of backgrounds that were cynics and critics of, of my faith in Jesus. And it was going through a study on Sunday nights at Midland Park Baptist Church that I got exposed to the Old Testament prophecies pointing to Jesus, and it solidified my faith. It actually planted, I believe, some of the earliest seeds of what came to be a call to ministry. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about walking us into this series. So I, wa I want to ask you a, a couple of questions there at home. And I want you to answer them out loud. Just go ahead and answer them out loud. Um, I, I know that many of you talk to your TVs during ball games. So I, I want you to just shout, shout back at me. Here's the first question. How much of your Bible is known as prophetic literature how much is prophecy give me a fraction how much do you think it's about one-fourth actually about about 25 percent of the scriptures have to do with prophecy some some that have already been fulfilled some which are yet to be fulfilled but much of which has been fulfilled in jesus already some still still await uh, their their fulfillment but about one-fourth now 
Anybody can make predictions. Anybody can do that. Getting them fulfilled is quite another thing, especially when you add more detail. See, if you predict something and then add detail and another detail and another detail, you enter the realm of what mathematical wizards call compound probability. You're compounding the unlikelihood that the thing could ever come to pass. Now, some of you are too, too young to remember this, but some of you may have heard or may remember uh, a, a woman uh, who was, became known or thought to be known as a psychic in America. Her name was Jean Dixon. And she got, a, got catapulted to international fame and status because of a prediction that people thought she made about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Now, I, I say thought she made because really what she said in a 1956 uh, magazine interview was this was that the president, the next president, would be a Democrat and would die in office. That, that's, a, that's a quote of what she said. The next president would be a Democrat and would die in office. She made that prediction three and a half years before the election. Now, back in that day, what chance did she have of getting right that it was a Democrat? 50%, you know, because the, those were really the only two viable parties at, at the time. Um, and, and so when you think about that, in the 50s and 60s, the odds also of in that day of a president dying in office were, were, were greater than they are today. Uh, back in that day, presidents were not nearly as protected as they are today. And interestingly, in that century, three presidents had died in office. So basically, mathematicians have figured out there's about a 20% chance that that could happen, one, one in five. So those were the odds. So she, she made these statements and everybody went, oh my word, this woman, she's a psychic. But what they failed to recognize were all of these false prophecies that she made, things that she never got right. For instance, she predicted World War III would start in 1954. She predicted that Jackie Kennedy would never remarry. She did. She predicted the Panama Canal treaties would not be approved. They were. She predicted Russians would be the first ones on the moon. They weren't. She made prediction after prediction after prediction that fell flat. So when you compare that to the kind of prophecy that we're talking about in the Bible and the odds, friends, there is absolutely no comparison. Did you know that there are over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus, just Jesus, in the Old Testament? What Jesus called Moses and the prophets that predicted the future, that predicted his coming that God would enter into human history and time and space as a man, that he would be the fulfillment of all the expectations of, of that Jewish Messiah. And there are many prophecies about where he'd be born, what he'd go through, all the circumstances of what his life would be like. And so I, I want us to take just a, a moment to look at 16 of, of, those, of those 300. Uh, we're going to move through these very, very quickly. They're, they're coming in the order of appearance as they are in your worship guide that I sent out and, and put on Realm. And I call these the Sweet 16. Since we didn't get college basketball Sweet 16, these are the Sweet 16s of prophecies uh, of our Lord. The, we read the first one a minute ago. It's in Isaiah 7:14, predict, predicting that Jesus would be born of a Messiah. So that narrows the odds a lot of, of who it could be. Then in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus 49.10 narrows it down even more, that he would be born of the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 9.1 informs us that his ministry would begin in Galilee. 
Isaiah 35, 5 lets us know that he would do incredible miracles. Zechariah 9, 9 informs us of the details of Palm Sunday that we just studied a while back, that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Psalms 41, 9 would let us know that this Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. Zechariah 11:32 tells us that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53, 5 gives us details of the scourging that would take place before his crucifixion, that he would be wounded and bruised. Psalms 22 gives us details of his crucifixions, telling us that his hands and feet would be pierced. Isaiah 53 tells us that uh, he would be crucified with thieves. Psalms 22.18 informs us that his garments would be torn and be gambled for. Psalm 34.20 predicts that his bones would not be broken, not even one. Zechariah 12.10 lets us know that his side would be pierced. Isaiah 53.9 lets us know that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And Psalm 16.10 foretells that he would be raised from the dead. Have you ever wondered... What are the odds of one person fulfilling those 16 predictions? Because, friends, those things were impossible to manage. You can't can't decide where you're going to be born. You can't decide in advance who your mom's going to be, what what tribe you're going to be born into. You can't do that. See, this is something that a mathematics professor years ago, in many sense, have looked at. Uh, he's from a background studied mathematical probabilities uh, how anybody would fulfill these predictions one man named Peter Stoner he was the professor of emeritus uh, of mathematics at Pasadena California he wrote a book called science speaks now there's a can you bring that slide up Kim this is uh, a website that I would encourage the book exists on the web you can go read it there chapter 3 is all about the prophecies related to Jesus and in his book, he actually looks at 48 predictions that Jesus fulfilled, 48 out of the 300. And he does a calculation of the odds of those 48 prophecies being fulfilled in the life of just one person on this earth. And so this is what it begins with, that the odds of one man filling just, fulfilling just eight of those pr- predictions is one in 10 to the 17th power. It's a big number. Okay, big, big number. Now, for, for those of us non-math types, Dr. Stoner gives some illustrations of what this would, would look like. Um, he, and he does a great word picture describing just about the eight. He says this, it's so big, that number, that if you took the state of Texas and you filled the state of Texas two feet thick with silver dollars and you pre-marked one of those silver dollars with, let's say, a, a red mark and then you shuffled all these silver dollars up and you blindfold a person, and you put them in the center of the state, and you tell them, walk as long and as far as you want to, bend over and try to pick up the marked silver dollar. He says the odds of doing that would be the same odds of historically one person fulfilling eight of those 300 prophecies. It's one in 10 to the 17th power. And then Dr. Stoner goes on for what it would be for one man to fulfill 16 prophecies. Remember the, the sweet 16 we just looked at? For one, what are the odds of one man fulfilling at least 16? He says the odds are 1 in 10 to the 45th power. And again, I don't get numbers that big. 
And so he gives another illustration in his book. He says, you can't talk about Texas anymore. You've got to think, think bigger than Texas. You've got to think bigger than the United States. He says, what you have to do is imagine that you create a sphere of solid silver dollars, and its center is, if it's, the center was located where the earth is now, that it would extend in every direction 30 times as far as the earth is from the sun. It is massive. Now remember, the distance from the earth to the sun is 93 million miles times 30. That's a silver dollar ball measuring 5,580,000,000 miles in diameter. Big picture. Okay, again, pre-mark a silver dollar, blindfold the dude, and send him out. The, the, the odds are astronomical. He, he goes on to, to calculate not only for 16, but for 48 of the 300. And it ends up, for the 48, it's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And he has another astronomical illustration for that one, but I'm going to leave you to research that one on your own because you, you need to read it. See, this is the stuff that I was struggling with early in my faith. But when I studied the fulfilled prophecy, it, it moved my, my shaky faith to more of an ironclad faith of, of trusting that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, for anyone to, to walk away to say, yeah, you know, I, I, I read the Bible. It, it's, it, it's good, I guess, kind of nice. You know, I, I want to say, no, you didn't. You didn't really read the Bible or that you, you got a, an IQ of a Q-tip. It, it just... You know, I, to, if you study the Word of God, there's no way to explain the Bible's ability to predict the future unless God is its author and superintended its writings. See, because the predictions are so precise, they're, they're undeniable. See, Bible prophecy isn't a good guess. It, it always has multiple contingencies and multiple features that, that, can't, that just can't be known, can't be controlled by a human being. And it's simply proof of a divine author. Now, when I studied this for the first time, I was amazed. And I shouldn't have been. You know, Jesus, Jesus has said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you, you, you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures, Jesus said, point to me. They point to him. Did you know that when the prophets made all these prophecies, they didn't understand what they were writing most of the time. They, 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 they didn't understand what... They made a lot of predictions. Some about events that would happen in the short term. Some events in the long term. Events about cities and about nations and about governments. But many of those predictions and prophecies were about one person. About the coming Savior, Jesus. And they didn't always understand what was going on. Listen to what the Apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, this salvation was something the prophets did not fully understand. Though they wrote about it, they had many questions as to what it all could mean. They wondered what the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about. For he told them to write down the events which since then have happened in Christ, his sufferings, his great glory afterwards. And they wondered when and to whom all of this would happen. 
See, the, the prophets, I like to think of them like this. They're, they're like archers. And they would just shoot, they would just pull back, and they would shoot their arrows into the sky. They had no earthly idea where they would land. And so Isaiah shoots an arrow into the sky, and Jeremiah shoots an arrow, and Zechariah shoots an arrow, and Daniel, and on and on. They, they would just shoot these arrows. All of them went up into the sky out of, out of sight of, of the prophets. They didn't know where they landed. But 300 of those arrows landed at the feet of Jesus. Jesus beats all the odds. Now, having kind of covered that, I want us to go back and finish our story on the road to Emmaus. Remember, Jesus met them in their sorrow. Jesus moved them to the scriptures. And then here's what Jesus did at the end. He filled them with joy. And that's what Jesus does for us. He meets us in our sorrows. He takes us to the scripture, to the truth of who he is. Then Jesus fills us with joy. He makes us filled with joy. Back to, to verse 28 of Luke 24. It says this, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. This was to Emmaus. He acted as if he were going farther, farther. Jesus just kind of acted like he was going to keep on walking. Um, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. I mean, man, just when, just when they got it, just when they see, adios, Jesus says. Verse 32, and then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures. And the Bible says they rose that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem, they found the 11, the, 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 the 11 disciples, uh, those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. And then these two followers of Jesus, they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, they invited him in. And then when he left, they looked at each other and said, oh, wow, how, how our hearts burn within us. I, I don't often want my, my river family to experience heartburn, but this is one of those places where I, I just pray that everyone who calls River Bluff home will get this kind of heartburn, this kind of burning of the heart. See, it didn't begin, really, until they stopped talking and listen to what jesus had to say to them you'll never experience that kind of burning heart passion for the lord until you stop talking some and start listening to jesus now this this phrase uh, the the burning of the heart what, what does that really mean well here's what i understand it means it means that you get a new understanding of old things it's like something you've read before you know, maybe two or three times, and then you read it, and suddenly the light comes on. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, it's like, oh, man, how did I not see it? I get it now, but I didn't. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't tell them things they didn't already know. I mean, th these were Jewish young men. They'd heard the scriptures growing up. They were raised in synagogue. They had heard the prophets and Moses all of their lives, but not like this, N not like this. It was like all new stuff to them. And see, that's exactly what happened to me. Exactly what happened to me when I, 
I, I saw Jesus beating the odds as a freshman in college, fulfilling all these ancient prophetic scriptures written hundreds, some even thousands of years before his birth, and it set my heart on fire. And it was a, a fire filled with joy uh, in the Lord. It, it satisfied me intellectually. It satisfied me spiritually. You know, e even now, it, it still does that. You know, every now and then, I, I'll meet somebody who says, mm, yeah, 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 I've heard all that before. And, and when, I, when, I, when they say that to me, here's, here's what I know. They've never, they've never really heard it. Probably they haven't stopped talking to, to hear from Jesus yet. And that's, that's one of my great prayers during, for us in this series, is that someone, maybe several someones, will really hear it so powerfully for the first time. That they'll, they'll become a lifetime member of the Burning Hearts Club. That, that's just my prayer, that someone would have a, a new joy. And, and that only comes when we let Jesus when we let Jesus open his word to us and give us a new application to the old revelation. See, that's what caused their hearts to burn with joy. I want to close my time with you this morning with, with this question. Since, since God is this accurate, this detailed, this, this good at what he does, don't you think don't you think he deserves your total trust, your complete trust? Friends, we're living in a time, one of the greatest times of fear our generation has ever faced. I mean, think about, think about all the fear, all the, thing, all the fears we live with as human beings. And I want you to put that in perspective with what we have just studied. A God who is this detailed, this, this precise, this good at what he does. Don't you think he can handle your finances? Don't, don't you think he can handle protecting your family? That he can handle your future, your medical, medical troubles? All, all the things that just seem to freak us out. Don't you think Jesus can handle that? Don't you think that the safest place in the world is to put them in God's hands and leave them there? See, here's the promise of Scripture. If he can beat the odds of fulfilling, perfectly fulfilling 300 ancient prophecies by sending his son to be the savior of the world, if he can do that, man, your life is a cakewalk for him. He, he, God's got this. He's got you covered. His will is going to be done in your life. And today I believe God is just saying this to, to you, to me. I think God is just saying, give it to me. Trust me. Look to me. Lean on me. I'll, I'll put a smile back in your face. I'll put, I'll put joy back in your heart. I'll put a spring back in your step because I'm going to manage your little life just fine. Just trust in me and trust me, God would say. That's where I believe a study like this, like we're going to be stepping into the next few weeks, takes us. I, that's where it took me as a freshman in college. And my prayer for you in this series is that it'll do the same. I, I pray you'll join us each week for this. Let's pray together.
Father, we come. As, as Terry prayed earlier, Abba, Father. Lord, you were real and personal and intimate and want to be known. And so we come. We want to know you, Jesus, the, the one who fulfilled all the promises of God. Your word tells us that they're, they're all yes in you. And so we come to you, Jesus. And, and one of the promises about you is that on the cross, you would bear the sin and shame of every human being on this planet. And you would take that into your body that your Father, God the Father, would place on you the sin of us all. And as you hung there and as you died, you paid a penalty for our sin that we could not pay. God's Word tells us that. And you, you there on that cross died with my sin, the sin of the world. And then that sin was buried with you in that tomb. But then on the third day, as the prophets proclaimed and foretold, you would be raised by the power of God from death, conquering not only sin, but death, so that we could have life in you eternal. And your word tells us and promises us that anybody who would believe in that and put their trust in that would be saved from their sin and be given new, real, eternal life in hell. Do you trust him for that? If you haven't, right where you're at, you can pray. You can just pray, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you fulfilled all that the Word of God says. I am trusting you now with my life here on earth and my eternal security. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I choose to repent of trying to do it on my own. I choose to repent of the ways of the world. I choose to repent of my sin, and I put my trust in you. And the Bible says if you do that, you'll be saved. But most of us watching today are probably have made that decision a while back, and what we needed to hear once again was how trustworthy God is to fulfill his word in all things. And maybe what you need to do is just return back to the Lord and let Jesus teach you the truth about himself. Let Jesus speak to you as, as you open the word of God and hear him say, I've got this. I know the world's in a mess, but I've got you in the palm of my hand. I know it looks like things are, are going to fall apart, but I am with you to deliver. That's the God we serve. And so now, God, we come. We, we come because you are so good. We come declaring to ourselves and to one another, God, you're, you're so good that there, there's never been anybody like you. We believe in who you are and we trust you and we come to worship you now. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.
love who can escape your faithfulness and endless sea so full of grace and mercy and we
wants you to experience his goodness in ways you never have before. And that only happens when you trust him totally. So I pray this week you will make steps to just hand it all over to the Savior of the world, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, because he is so very good. And I also want to say, those of you who have been giving so sacrificially and generously, you're making a difference. Uh, we're able to bless others because of that. I want to continue, uh, ask you to continue in doing that. But beyond that, I want to ask you to reach out to your neighbors. Find out what needs they have. And if you run into somebody with a significant need that needs help with food, uh, with medication, uh, with rent, a light bill, will you, will you let us know? Because we want to find ways to try to bless not only those that are part of our faith family, but those in our, in our community. Because that's part of displaying how good our God is. He's so good. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.